Welcome to the ninth Perido podcast, Conversations with Leaders. Um, I'm Emma Rafter and I head up our strategic engagement and marketing here at Perido Partners. I'm delighted to be sitting here with our guest this week, Rachel Lambert Forsyth. Hello, Rachel. Hi. <laughs> so a few weeks ago, we held a special event talking about the future of membership organisations, and Rachel was one of our guest speakers. As the current Director of Membership and Professional Affairs at the Royal Society of Biology, Rachel talked about how you attract and engage young members. You'll notice I said current director, and that's because Rachel's actually leaving to start her first role as CEO in March. She'll be leading the British Pharmacological Society. So congratulations. It's very exciting news. Thank you very much. So I think we're going to start there, and I'm going to ask you to talk a little bit about your background and your journey to CEO. Well, it started off as an undergraduate, so I'm a marine biologist by background, Mm -hmm. and um, I very quickly learned in my undergraduate degree that... I was not going to go into research as a scientist, it just wasn't for me. I didn't like the long hours in the lab and I wasn't very good at it, if I'm (laughs) totally honest. Um, What I really loved was the output of science, I really enjoyed taking the science output and thinking about how you could use that for kind of impact um, in many different areas. So I followed that up with a Master's in Sustainable Environmental Management, which was very much about bringing together the science and then the policy aspects. Graduated in 2008 and was looking for my first job and saw an opportunity to join the then Institute of Biology um, as an education and training administrator. Went to the interview, got the job, um, and sort of the rest is history. Um, so I <laughs> nice have, and easy. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Really, really easy. In my interview, though, I did say I would only stay there for one to two years, uh, 11 years later, and I'm only just taking the leap uh, to move on. Um, But over that 11-year period, um, I moved from that initial role to head of education and then to director of education and training, and then finally into the current role at the moment, director of membership and professional affairs. We also changed three times. We merged two organisations to the Society of Biology, and then we um, gained the royal title and became the Royal Society of Biology in 2015. Um, So it's been a really exciting journey. 11 members of staff right at the beginning, um, now we're at 36, and I manage 16 of them. So it's been, you know, quite quite a kind of a big experience. For me, as a leader, I um, have gained a lot here, but I've also gained a lot through um, other roles both um, within my hockey club as communications officer and vice chair previously, um, and then in trustee roles and as governor of my son's school um, as well. It sounds like you have had quite a lot of development opportunities here as well. Um, I'm sort of moving from administrator and education through to membership and, and, you know, members are are the lifeblood of what you do. Was there anyone who particularly supported you in that or, you know, how did that come about? Is it it the organisation as a whole? My current chief executive um, is a huge support. Um, So he has managed me for 10 years Mm -hmm. and he has been um, really brilliant, actually, about ensuring that I always remain challenged and that he made the most of my skill set over that period of time. And I was always open to the question that I asked roughly every three years, which was where could I go next? Hmm. And if he couldn't find something then, he made sure that he developed me and and pointed me in the direction of doing things that would also develop that wider skill set so that if the role didn't come up here... I had skills to move on. So, for example, he was a person who um, encouraged me to take on trustee roles outside of my professional role and, and also made me company secretary of Charles Darwin House Limited, which I will forever dislike him for, uh, because I said to him one day, I need more governance experience in order to take the next step, I think. 
To which she went, ah, I have this role. I don't think you'll like it, but it'll be excellent for governance. And I've been doing that role for two and a half years alongside the current job. And in that time, we've sold two commercial buildings in London. I've dealt with auditors. I've managed the company's house kind of records, keeping um, and directors moving on and off the board. Um, So it's it's definitely not something I've enjoyed, (laughs) but I'm very grateful for it as an opportunity to develop. And did you take up, I guess you had to do particular training to be able to do that as well. So training on top of your day job and also being company secretary and, you know, knowing all of that as well, that's quite a lot to to take on. It is. um, (laughs) It's not for everyone. I don't like to sit still. I think anyone who knows me would tell you that. I like to be busy and I like to continuously be challenged and I thrive off that if I'm perfectly honest. I I am that person who is always doing something. It drives my husband mad um, and I think my kids sometimes wonder what I'm doing but it kind of, it feeds my soul personally and it makes me better everything else that I do. Um, So it makes me a better mother, it makes me a better wife and it definitely makes me better in the office. Now, are there things that you are taking from your experience over to when you become a chief exec? Yes, definitely. There are leaders that I admire, um, and I look at them and I think about how they behave around their organisation, but also in terms of how they network um, and create relationships with other organisations for the good of their organisation. So definitely kind of look at them and, and we'll try to emulate some of that. I've also, in the last um, couple of years, taken, kind of undertaken leadership courses externally. Um, so particularly last year, I did the Akivo Emerging Leaders course um, at the end of 2019. And that was very much about preparing for a CEO role. Um, and it was really great to be in a cohort of other potential CEOs and some new CEOs and learn from them about the sort of the behaviours and the competency that you needed to take on that new CEO role. Um, and it gave me the confidence to go through the interview process at the end of last year. And what did the um, what did the course offer? What, if for people who don't know, what practically do you do? So it's a three month course, and um, there's two days, which are whole day workshops with the cohort, and then the rest is online. Um, there's also sort of telephone calls in, involved as well. Also had to do a 360 review, which is the scariest thing I've ever had to do. I had to ask my direct line reports to um, to give their feedback anonymously on me and my leadership skills. But it was also really useful to know where, uh, how other people felt my leadership, where the strengths and where the weaknesses were, um, and gave me areas to kind of build on that. And it was also an opportunity to think about different leadership styles. So there's things like, are you more cat or are you more dog? Um, more like never, I am definitely more dog. <laughs> I like to be liked. And I'm very enthusiastic and I, uh, I, I want you to listen to my ideas. But actually there's, you know, real benefit in being a bit cat um, and being a bit more sincere and calm and collect and that can bring people along with you as well. So just learning those little techniques I thought was really good. And did you get quite a good peer support network within that as well? Yeah, definitely. Um, I've stayed in touch with a few of them and in fact actually one of them was at the leadership event that you ran um, and that was really nice to see a, a face in the audience. I didn't know she was going to be there. And I think we kind of created a bond where we were able to share very openly about the challenges um, that you face when you're in a director role, 
as well, um, the kind of pressures, the kind of squeeze from the top and the squeeze from below, and how do you manage that and make your role work without letting anyone down around you. And with that, what have been your biggest challenges along the way? So if you had asked me that question about five years ago, um, I would have said my biggest challenge at that point in time was my age. So I was a director in my late 20s. And at that point in time, we were doing quite a lot with the government, the DfE, on curriculum development. Um, so I ended up in a lot of meetings with very senior civil servants and occasionally secretaries of state. And I just, I personally felt that I didn't have the gravitas to um, respond well in those situations. So I kind of had a bit of imposter syndrome going on. And I definitely felt like I was asked more questions as well to To just kind of justify that what I was saying made sense. Mm. I would say though, I don't have that issue now. Um, I'm kind of comfortable in my own skin. And I think the challenge now is about juggling everything and actually working out where the priorities are and then making sure that that translates to the team that I manage so that they are not um, overwhelmed but also are very clear on what the kind of organisational need is um, as well. So I think that's kind of developing my communication skills has been the other area I've kind of worked on over the last few years. And how did you overcome the imposter syndrome? How you say that's not something that you feel like now, but how did you overcome it? To be quite honest, I think it was just a lot of people telling me that I was doing the right <laughs> thing. So having mentors mm-hmm. and having people around me who had seen me in those professional capacities who either agreeing with what I was saying and so seeing those nodding faces around the room is always really um, helpful yeah. um, but also where I could talk to them afterwards and say you know did that sound sensible did it make sense to you and kind of talk through those outcomes and have them go yeah it, it was fine Rachel stop worrying <laughs> you know your stuff you know your stuff <laughs> exactly I think having those people is really important as you progress through your career. So a good support network of people who you can bounce ideas and who build your confidence and who understand your expertise. Absolutely. And who you can learn from as well. Yeah, actually, who you can kind of look at and go, I want to be like you. I want to have your confidence or I want to be the person who always has the research to back up what I'm saying. Like kind of learning what it is that you want to be like and then finding the people that you can imitate in the very best possible way sounds like one of your strengths is curiosity yeah (laughs) i'm a scientist we're all curious (laughs) which is really helpful for like developing and you know wanting to get better so we talked about challenges but what are you sort of most proud of i think there was something that i was reading that you exceeded eighteen thousand members six months earlier than target we did. I, I am really proud of that, but I would say that's a team success. Mm. I, I think I had very little to do with that, to be perfectly honest. I think the team did that. And what I'm personally most proud of was delivering event 2017 International Biology Olympiad. Um, it was a huge week-long event, um, 250 students on site, 300 adults from 68 countries. We had a massive opening ceremony, we had a closing ceremony, we had Nobel laureates speaking during the week, we had science Kayleys, but we also ran two huge practical, one practical exam, one theoretical exam, and it was a huge success and we won an award for it as well. Massively stressful, did it on top of the day job, Um, it was kind of added into my job description, it was great fun too. 
it sounds like it's something that you wanted to do and again that learning process and when you were going back to when you were saying you know every three years you say what can I do next what is there for me that sounds like that was quite a big yeah, part of that definitely definitely it kind of showed me that I could project manage from start to finish and also budget manage from start to finish and it was also under incredible scrutiny from our trustees here mm-hmm. so it developed my sort of board presence mm-hmm. as well in terms of having to present reports to them both on content but also financial and get them on board so that they thought that it was worthwhile for the organisation I think most of them did in the end <laughs> they certainly thought it was a great you know a good event yeah I guess in terms of investment education you know influencing it's really there in yeah. terms of you know putting the organization out there yeah and it built skills within the team as well um so our current event event manager was part of the group organizing it and being involved um and she definitely great kind of grew her skills through it as well um we also were seeking funders and fundraising and sponsorship um so i think as an organization it developed our skill set in uh, managing stakeholder relationships when a lot of money is involved <laughs> And being successful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, you know, and hopefully, you know, creating that relationship that's a long-standing one. So, as we know, in about a month's time, you're going to be new CEO. What are you doing to prepare for that role? And also, how did you know you were ready to make that step up? In terms of preparation, I have been doing a lot of reading. I have been reading a lot of leadership blogs. I really like Harvard Business Review at the moment. Um, their daily kind of little summaries I send to you. I also have been making sure that I'm kind of up to speed on their key documents, so their strategy, their annual reports, um, recent sets of council minutes. Yesterday I was over with the team um, meeting kind of key direct reports and also kind of getting a sense of their key priorities with their president and president-elect. So a lot of information gathering, I think, is the best way to describe it. And then I think the other part is also about getting myself ready to leave an organisation that I've been at for a long time. So wrapping up lots of loose ends um, and making sure it's ready to be handed over in the best way. And just kind of psychologically getting myself ready to to, to go somewhere else uh, and start anew. I'm really excited for that challenge. And then the other side of it is I think how how did I know I was ready? My mentors told me. So again, going back to that kind of theme of mentorship and networks, really important. Um, they're very a good gauge of whether you're ready for the next step or not. And I was kind of keen to be challenged again I can without kind of sounding a bit silly I can do my job here really well without much thought mm-hmm. um, because I've been here a while and there's and also a CEO here yeah <laughs> uh, there's so that's the next step yeah <laughs> absolutely but also I you know I kind of come into the office and I know what I need to get on with and I it's easy mm-hmm. and I don't thrive very well and easy um, so that was kind of how I knew I needed to move on because it was becoming a bit too easy and then I was coming I felt myself that I could become complacent yeah um, I don't think I'm there yet but I could see that that was coming down the line um, and so I needed to start looking sooner rather than later yeah. to make sure that didn't occur 
I guess also your CEO, given their support, would have known that that would have been coming. <laughs> yeah, we discussed it. <laughs> yeah. uh, my appraisal last year, we talked about taking on a chief exec role, and he was the one who encouraged me actually to do the Akivo course and join Akivo in their kind of early leadership groups. It's, um, Akivo is the association for um, chief executives in the voluntary sector, but they have a membership category that's for senior leadership. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he was very kind of supportive in that. and encouraged me to do all the things that would allow me to feel comfortable Um, that's really impressive and that's really nice as well when someone has your back like that and wants to develop you yeah absolutely absolutely we talked a lot at the event before and just coming back to the you know membership organizations and where membership organizations are going what do you think are the biggest sort of challenges and opportunities for them the easy one to say is digital disruption. Um, everyone's worried about digital disruption and how content is devoured by um, by individuals and making sure that as charities, professional bodies, membership bodies, we keep up with that. I think the other element is relevance, about maintaining relevance in a changing sector um, as well. Um, and as and maintaining relevance as careers change as well, portfolio careers, not particularly that new, but I think we talk about them a lot more now and making sure that even if someone moves on from your sector, they may still be, so for us, you may still be a biologist even if you're not working in a biological sector, there should still be something that interests you about the Royal Society of Biology because that is your sort of natural home. So right at the beginning I said I'm a marine biologist. I would still class myself as a marine biologist. I haven't done marine biology in 13, 14 years, but I'm still interested in it. So I think it's encouraging that connection with the community that you're serving, making making yeah. sure that they kind of feel that there's a home for them. Because I think you were talking about when someone might be a member and then they leave but actually you don't want to class them as new members because they're not really, because they still have that love and you know that interest. So how then do you engage them? And it, I think you talked a lot around some of the things that you were doing with young, younger members um, in terms of you know bringing them in, volunteering, and what are the things that interest them? Yeah. So really like a strengths-led approach. Yeah, absolutely. And getting them involved in the decision-making as well. So one of the things um, we've talked quite a lot about here, I don't think we've got it um, exactly right yet, but we're definitely working on it, is to encourage our sort of early career members to get involved in our committees and our governance structures, but also by creating good experiences with us through outreach. So we, we have a team that goes out and they'll go to science festivals and outreach um, and engagement events. And they will invite volunteers which are from our membership to get involved with them they'll generally be early career researchers who want to communicate their science and then we want to kind of have you know get them to have a good experience so that they then see that there's value in joining as a member so that they can both get more out of it themselves but also give more back to the society as well and also talk about that experience so therefore also encouraging their networks because they've had that good they they become advocates for you absolutely absolutely that's one area where um our team is working on at the moment so working on an ambassador scheme at the moment and it's very much about that because they are our advocates 
I, you know, I'm a director of membership. I could go out and I could talk to a big cohort of biologists and tell them the wonderful benefits of being um, part of the Royal Society of Biology. But ultimately, I'm paid to do that. Mm-hmm. So why should you believe me? It's much more powerful to take out a professor or a um, water scientist or someone within industry um, or even you know, a head of biology in a school and get them to talk about what they've gained from their membership of the association because it's a real life story. Yeah, that's really powerful. Yeah. I really loved your presentation, particularly how you broke down the personas, which you, you don't often sometimes get that level of, of thinking behind them, particularly for that, that younger audience. Can you share a bit about the process of how you did that um, and develop that strategy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so personas was brought in by um, our membership manager a couple of years ago and how we should use that to kind of link up the content and how we were matching that to, um, to members to encourage the kind of the benefits. Because the challenge we were facing was we did so much we didn't know how to communicate that um, so that people saw the benefits. And so she did a huge amount of work looking at our data. So we really went back to the basics of the data from within our um, data systems, but also through surveys, um, exit surveys when members were leaving us, as well as she started kind of an onboarding campaign to get a sense of who was clicking on certain elements and then linking that all together. And that could create these these personas that we could start to use then join information up together um, and it's it's been really helpful I think for people the membership team who are talking to members on a day-to-day basis so they know that if they've signed up to event you know event over here that they might be interested in this training over there and also oh there's this article that's come out in, our, in the journal did they know that that's that's there for them to read online for example I found it really interesting because it's actually treating the personas as actually people and what their interests are and what they might be able to really want to get engaged in and, and actually what their life might look like and how they drop in and drop out. Um, and I really also liked about um, you were sort of talking about actually going along to Gay Pride and how that was, you know, kind of a hugely different thing for you to be doing as a, as a membership organisation. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, Pride was really it was a really wonderful experience. I think it was also quite challenging for us as an organisation. Um, so we have a big element of our strategies around diversity and inclusion. Um, so we've got a kind of hashtag Biosciences for All, and that's threaded out throughout our strategy. And it's about all elements of diversity. Previously, I think we have often focused on kind of gender imbalance, um, as many organisations have, but we're very keen to think about all All, types of diversity moving forward. It was a suggestion that came from the public engagement team of this, there's this opportunity for us as an organisation to march as part of the Pride Parade, and, and, you know, was there an opportunity for us to do that? So we ran a ballot with our members to see kind of what the take-up was um, and we're really um, pleased to see that um, we had a great take-up from our, from the, from our members who wanted to come and march with us and really wonderful feedback from the members who were involved on that day um, as well and a great kind of impact as well on across our social media channels mm-hmm. on kind of Twitter and Facebook. Also quite a lot of challenge. Um, that our social media uh, manager, our comms manager, was having to deal with on the day. She was also managing the the event. Mm-hmm. So that was, you know, what, really was, what did that look like? Um, oh, you know, the, the normal sort of trolley responses. Oh. It was pretty hideous, actually, and and really, uh, like for me, I just thought it's so sad mm-hmm. that someone wants to 
argue about something that is just about celebrating life in all its yeah. forms and love people. in its all its forms <laughs> and people in its all its forms. It's it's not affecting them if they don't want to march. Fine. <laughs> but we also had this other side of response, which was really brilliant that the Royal Society of Biology is is doing this. I'm really proud of my society that they're getting involved in this. And so we're looking at the moment about the feasibility of going again in 2020. Uh, it clashes with Glastonbury this year, though, <laughs> so it makes it a little bit more difficult logistically. Um, but hopefully, we'll I mean, be able Glastonbury, to go. we could do both. We could do both. So I think finally, my my question would be uh, in terms of anyone thinking about working in a membership organisation. What advice would you give to them? My advice would be: you have to be a people person. You have to want you have to want to work with people. Mm. That would be my first piece of advice. The second piece of advice would be you have to want to work in, a, in an area where no two days are the same because there is so much variety in a membership organisation. And the final bit would be actually it's a really exciting sector. There is so many people in this sector and I never knew it was even there when I was an undergraduate. I just didn't know it existed. Um, I didn't know how exciting it could be. But you can build skills, you can build leadership skills, um, you can move around. There are multiple organisations that you work can work with. There's transferable skills that you get from it as well. So even if it's not the 20, 30, 40 year career, it will stand you in good stead to move into different careers. We've had staff here move across to civil service, um, to research councils, to um, private sector, to back into education to do masters and phds and, and everything really um, and they've been set up well by the experience of working yeah. in a membership body it comes down to people yeah absolutely <laughs> absolutely well thank you very much for your time My pleasure. and good luck thank you, you start very quickly and very soon to our listeners you can download our other podcasts at peridopartners.co.uk forward slash leadership and if you're interested in other senior level roles including ceo positions then you can visit our website for more information